began looking at the, the home. The Lord has, for several years now, burdened my heart to, to preach along this line. As a young preacher, as I think most young preachers are, I was always uh, a little hesitant to preach on the home and uh, child rearing, you know, when you're trying to do it. And, and uh, anyway, I'll just leave it at that. I remember hearing Dr. Peter Masters, the pastor of Spurgeon's Tabernacle, saying he was, had a big, uh, it was a seminar, they were at a conference out in the country, one of those English country homes, and his children were small, and he was teaching on the rearing of children, and he heard this horrendous scream at the end of the hall where he was preaching, and his daughter and son, I think, were into it, <laughs> and he said, while he was up there teaching the seminars on how to rear children, peace in the home and all that, and they were pulling each other's hair out at the end of the, end of the thing there, but the last Lord's Day evening, we considered the callings of the Lord and of God in, in establishing his plan for men and women here on earth. I'm called to be a man. My maleness is one of the callings that God has given to me. I'm a, a son, a brother, a husband, a father, a pastor. Romans 11:29 tells us that the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. And we dealt with all of that last week. There is the effectual call of the gospel where the Lord saves those that he calls unto salvation. And in the different callings, our positions in life that he's given to us, uh, these are things that he has designed and, and he has placed for us to do. The Genesis record tells us very clearly that male and female created he them. Distinction, differentness, both to the honor and the glory of God. We read in 1 Timothy 2 verse 13, For Adam was first formed and then Eve. That gives us the precedent then of God's order in, in the family, and the order in the church of men and women. There's no clear understanding of the roles of the husband and wives or of men of women without a clear understanding of the doctrine of submission. God alluded to this doctrine in Genesis 3.16. Again, we studied this last week when speaking to Eve as a result of the fall and after the fall he addressed her and he's part of what he said to her is thy desire shall be to thy husband and he shall rule over thee in other words your desire will be Eve to rule over your husband this conflict has started now because of the fall but your husband will rule over you now this is God speaking this is God's plan his pattern that we're seeing unfolded for us. And there's no clear understanding of how all this works without recognizing that God in his sovereignty, God in his creative power and might has designed it in this way. We see here both the plan of God and headship and submission and the problem. And that, that sentence that he gave there to Eve, your desire will be to rule over your husband, but he shall rule over thee. We see God's plan unveiled for us there and the problem as well which is often in opposition uh, to the perfect plan of God. Our sinful nature recalls against submission on every level. The basic level of all society is the home, and at that level, this problem is, is most uh, acute. And this is where we address and begin to address when we're talking about God's pattern and His plan for marriage and for husbands and wives. But what do we mean by submission? Just to say that word, I can feel the hairs on people's necks stand up. Uh, there's a certain, you know, settling in the pew and digging in a feet into the, the, the carpet there because of 
misconceptions uh, about what the word means and also uh, a recalling in our inner being about uh, being submissive to anything. American thought is this, uh, you know, be free, do what you want to do, uh, no one can tell us what to do, that kind of uh, spirit all the way back from the revolutionary days. And I'm not saying, I'm just saying that's just the kind of attitude that that, that pioneer spirit, you know, we'll, we'll uh, settle our problems, do what we need to do. But I, I remind you that that's not necessarily the scriptural format, especially for the order in the home. What do we mean by submission? If I were to ask you to write out a definition of it there on, on your piece of paper, how would you, what would you say? What, what words would you use to describe what we mean by submission? Is it one person, and this is what usually comes to mind, one person who is better or thinks they're better or higher or whatever, lording over another, requiring things from the other, and, and complete loss of identity of the other personality. That's how most often those who reject this plan, God's plan, view it and, and uh, feel about it. Uh, the doctrine of submission flows from an understanding of God's design, his intent. And we see it here so beautifully portrayed for us in this uh, portion of scripture, the, the Apostle Paul, in his thank you note written, written to the Philippians, where he gives us the portrait of the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 2 there, he says, Fulfill you my joy, that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. This one mind. In verse 5, he again refers to it, Let this mind, this mindset, this attitude of thinking, this manner of thinking that results in right action. It's not just a philosophy about things that sounds good, but let your attitude, your thinking about this matter so influence you that it affects the way you live. The conflict, whether in the church or the home or wherever it is, comes from a sinful nature. In fact, we see it again there in the first home where the blaming of Adam toward wife, Eve blamed the serpent, Adam blamed his wife, and the blame game is, is often part of the problem. This division, this uh, animosity toward one another, but the Bible very clearly tells us this all comes from a sinful pride. Proverbs says, Only by pride cometh contention. Unity, this oneness of mind, sameness of philosophy, of heart and mind and purpose, comes from submitting to the will of God and to the plan of God in any matter. We see there in verse 2, like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord. Paul gives the ultimate example of submission in the earthly life of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he takes us back to what we refer to as the incarnation of Jesus Christ, where he took on flesh, where God became, uh, took on a human body and invaded this earth. In eternity past, the determinate council of, of the triune Godhead ordained that God the Son, when we speak of the, the mystery of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, in conference in eternity past, that it was ordained that God the Son would take on a body like that of sinful man, with, yet without sin, and, without, and live out his life on earth, fulfilling all the demands of God, perfectly obeying the law of God, and fulfilling the word of God, the law of God, and thereby being able to be both the just and the justifier of them that believe on him. 
verse 3 describes that kind of submission. And interestingly, Paul calls on the, the Philippians uh, because there is a conflict that he mentions there in the church. And he says in verse 3, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, through arguing or pride. I'm right, you're wrong. You know, we often say when we decide upon a matter, when there is an issue, the question is not who is right, but what is right. If we settle a question, a matter about who is right, there's always going to be difference of opinion. But we always come to settle a matter, what is right, what saith the Lord, what does the Scripture say, and that's how we begin to settle conflict or difference of opinion. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind. You see, he keeps bringing back this attitude, the way we think, our philosophy, how we view this matter of submission. In lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. This is what the submission looks like to us. Nothing being done in strife and vainglory. We'd have the very same attitude, the very same mindset as the Lord Jesus Christ had in this matter of submission. Now, there was a very definite act in eternity past where God the Son submitted to the plan of the Godhead to, if you will, and words often fail us when we try to describe this, to lower himself to come to this earth to take on a human body. Now, we have no concept of what that means because we know the Scripture tells us, as we heard this morning, that man is the crowning point of God's creation. And we live like that. I mean, we know we're better than animals and plants, although all that's being called into question in our crazy day. But we realize that, that we think and have the, the, the made the, to the likeness of God but it's very, very difficult for us to understand what it was for the Lord Jesus Christ to come to earth, to take on a body, to, to come to earth. I remember years ago I heard Dr. J. Vernon McGee give the illustration I've often given here of, of would anybody volunteer to become an insect, to, to condescend from what you are, to become an insect or an amoeba or something, even if you thought you could cure all the world's diseases, if, if that would cure cancer, would you, would you trade what you are now and lay aside the privileges and, and all that you enjoy now for that noble purpose? I don't, I would be honest with you, I wouldn't do that, would you? We, we can't comprehend of what it would be. And I want you to know that for the Lord Jesus Christ, to condescend to come to earth to take on a body was much greater, infinitely greater than that, that poor illustration that, that, it, that I just gave to you. We're to have the same attitude. Our pattern is Christ in all things. We're to live like the Lord has done and, and that he would do in our circumstances. We always ask ourselves, how did the Lord live out his life and what would he do were he in my same circumstances? We know what that would be like, don't we? Because we have the record in his word. He, he's given us exactly how he would respond when uh, misused or mistreated or, or whatever we might be going through. We, we see our Lord having lived that out in his earthly ministry. Humility or submission was not a highly prized commodity in Bible times, not even among the Jewish people. Remember, uh, both our Lord and later 
his half-brother James in his epistle talks about those who love to have places of authority, the high seats in the, the banquets or in any assembly, and the distinctions that people... This is nothing new. As long as man has been on earth, it is, that is it. This, and, but it particularly uh, during the Roman domination of the world, uh, submission was uh, looked down upon. And when Paul would write upon humility of mind, condescension thinking someone is better than you, that was absolutely reprehensible in the, the Roman mindset, the Jewish mindset, the Greek mindset, because like our thought today, the idea was to prosper, to get to the top, whatever it takes, no matter who you had to step on, uh, you, to do menial tasks of any kind was looked down upon. You, if you couldn't afford to have that done by somebody, you know, all of that, that pecking order that's very much... You know, pretty much the mindset still uh, today. But the gospel changes all of that. The gospel of Jesus Christ just doesn't save us from sin. It gives us a whole new philosophy of how to live life in every area where, the, where someone has truly been regenerated by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and a deep work of the Holy Spirit will begin to think and to, to live life as our Lord lived. In fact, this is... The whole purpose of, of Paul's writing here, Jews were uh, were looking for a conquering, ruling, majestic Messiah. They were not looking for Jesus Christ. He did not fit anybody's estimation of what a Messiah would be. And it was very hard for them, even though they saw the, the unmistakable miracles, the inimitable miracle, miracles that he performed, they could not reconcile that with their thought that the Messiah would be majestic, ruling and reigning from David's throne. All those prophecies that the Lord does give, the Scripture does give about him. But when they saw Jesus, remember the disciples came to Jesus at one time and asking for places of notoriety in the coming kingdom. I mean, even those guys in the inner circle, can we have a place on the right hand and the left hand? Jesus was God in eternity past. He was God all during his incarnation. And now in his glorious ascension and reigning in heaven, he is God. Of course, even now as we speak, because he was God, when he voluntarily submitted to the Godhead's plan for him, it was the ultimate display of submission and humility and love. He did not diminish his deity by taking on human flesh. And granted, the gospel writers and the apostles tell us this is a great mystery while we do not fully understand all that took place and the ramifications of it, we have the, his life lived out in the gospel record. He did not diminish any of his essence, any of his deity, not in any sense was diminished by him taking on flesh and submitting. Now remember, we're talking about the doctrine of submitting and we're looking to the, the pattern of the Lord Jesus Christ. When he voluntarily took on the role of Savior, he did not stop being God. He did not in any way relinquish his position in the Godhead. He, he, he willingly and purposefully limited himself to some degree. And we're going to look at that in a little bit more detail in just a moment. And again, even that is a great mystery. When he came to earth to obey the Father's plan to save man, mankind. But I hope you see this. God has a plan. And that plan involves submission 
all the way from the work of our Savior, and it has a plan for you. No one is saved who does not, does not submit to God's Word and to His, His plan for them. You know, we live in a day where the gospel is, you know, you can be saved any old way you want to almost, cafeteria style. I'll take a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and, uh, and still live the way I want to, defying all the scripture that tells us that you were, such were some of you, but now you're light. That, that transformation from darkness to life, you are a new creature in Christ. Behold, old things are passed away, all things are become new. And in fact, Jesus Christ said it unmistakably, if any man will come after me, do you want to follow me? Do you want to be my follower, my disciple? Let him deny himself. Say no to yourself. All those things that you would, if you're on a piece of paper, you could write down, these are my rights. This is what I expect. Say no to self daily and take up his cross and follow me. That's ultimate submission to the will of of the Savior. We see in the Philippian passage that Jesus did not think of his equality with God as a thing to be grasped. When you you see there in in verse uh, 6, who being in the form of God, this is speaking in his pre-incarnate state, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, and many of your margins will say a thing to be grasped after, are held tightly on to. Jesus, his equality with, with God means in the form of God. His incarnation necessitated certain limitations placed upon him. He said, I and my Father are one. In, unmistakably, God, the deity of Jesus Christ. Before Abraham was, I am, he said. The term there in verse 6, equal with God, means the exact equivalent. And that's what enraged his hearers. He declared, I am the same thing as God. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. What a statement. And you know what their response was? That's blasphemy. You're just a man. You, you, can, you don't even look like what we would vote for to be a, a Messiah, let alone the, the, you know, anything else. And so it was reprehensible to them when he said, I and my Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus did not lose, and I hope you, again, we're realizing what we're speaking of here, this submission, this doctrine of submission. Jesus lost nothing by submitting to the plan of the Father. Can you let that sink deep down into your heart and mind, to whatever you're holding on to, and being afraid to submit to God's plan for you as a wife or a husband or or a child or whatever it is? In fact, one of the most amazing texts in all the Scripture is in Luke 2, verse 52. You remember the setting of that uh, verse is when Mary and Joseph came to celebrate Passover. And uh, they had gone, left Jerusalem. They would come in pilgrimages. The people who lived outside of Jerusalem would come to the holy convocations. They would come in groups. They would come in pilgrimages, uh, singing and talking. And it was a time of a festivity. So you're traveling with several other families, all the little children playing and, and uh, going along. And they were way down the road before they realized that Jesus was not with them as a young boy. And they went all the way back to Jerusalem and saw him reasoning with the, the, um, the, the theologians. I have a portrait of that in my office. I always marvel at it because the, the artist has captivated the looks on these 
Pharisees and theologians' faces. They're looking, how do you know that? In their mind, you're thinking, how does he know that? How how can he say these things? How does he know these things? They knew that he was undeniably the Son of God or or, or was beyond their comprehension. And, of course, you, you know the response of Mary and Joseph. But the point I'm getting at is the Bible says he went with them when after he said, I must be about my father's business. He went with them. And what does the Holy Spirit record for us? And was subject unto them. The Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior and Creator of the universe put Himself in submission to an earthly to earthly parents. Flawed, sinful Mary and Joseph. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. As wonderful as that home must have been and we're going in our study of the home, think about the, the various homes in the Scripture where God's choicest servants were placed. All were a product of the home. One of the most amazing things to me is to, to think that God entrusted His infant Son to parents like us. Jesus, who knew the secrets of the ages and who knew all things, even as a 12-year-old boy, went back to Nazareth with Mary and Joseph and put himself under. That's what the word submission means. Like a private under a general in the army. Now let me ask you something. Theoretically, that private may have a higher IQ than that five-star general. They're both taking tests. One, the private may have far more ability and intelligence or IQ level and whatever you want to say, then the five-star general. But that's not the point, is it? He has submitted himself under that authority of that general as a private in the, in the army. And so we see here, this is equality. It's not about equality. It's not about someone being greater. And although, if anything, Jesus Christ, of course, is the greatest of the great, greater than Mary and Joseph, greater than, than anyone. Yet we see him living out God's plan of submission. All the while he was on earth, he never said that he, he wasn't God or, or that he couldn't do the works of Creator God. The works that I do, that I do Him who sent me. He had His authority over all things. The winds, the waves, peace be still. He calmed storms. He raised the dead. He had authority over elements. He, he did creative miracles. The so-called miracles that people do today are never creative miracles. They never create something out of nothing. They never take fish and loaves and make enough to feed thousands. Never do that. They never uh, raise the dead. They never uh, turn water into wine. They, they, they cannot do those kinds of things. And, and those who witnessed Jesus' miracles said he has to be God. Nobody can do these things except God be with him, they said. He never used his power to entertain, to tantalize, to impress. Although they did prove that he was the Son of God, it was never for the curiosity seekers. He never did... Uh, perform miracles to fulfill his own desires. If that would have been the case, the Bible tells us very clearly he could have called down 10 legions, 10,000 angels to minister to him in his great passion. Notice, as Paul writes here, he did not grasp these things like we do. 
I know my rights. You can't treat me that way. I know what, what you think of me. I know what, what's coming to me. This is mine. We go through life as a toddler with a razor blade in their hand that you have to pry out of their hand. I want it, even if it's not good for us. Stubbornly we go through life, grasping all the way. But our Lord did not do that. He did not think it was a thing to grasp. He did not lose anything by submitting to the plan of God. Why do we think we will? That we will lose face if we say, I'm sorry, I was wrong, or you're over me. In fact, the scripture says in the church, we're to submit ourselves one to another. Oh, the problems that would be solved just by mutually saying, brother, you have the, you take this. What did Abraham say to Lot? You go that way, I'll go this way. Whatever, we're brethren. Let's settle this matter as brethren. When we submit to the plan of God, we never lose anything by it. That's a lie from Satan just as surely as the lie that he told Eve. You shall not, in the day you eat of it, you shall not surely die. The Lord just knows, God just knows you'll become like he is. He tells us that we will lose if we submit. Wives, don't listen to the lie of Satan to submit to your own husbands. Our Lord Jesus Christ lost nothing. In fact, he gained everything by obeying the plan of God. When we submit to one another in the home or in the church, we don't lose face. We're not weaker or less significant, although our culture presents it in that way. And this is the attitude that every believer should have. The same attitude, the same mindset as our Lord. He knew who he was. He knew what God's plan for him was. He did not hold on to those things as something to be grasped and to, to, to be held on to. He relinquished all things to fulfill the Lord's will. We're to be willing, like our Lord, to give up privilege to give up status, to give up reputation, anything for the sake of the Savior. No rights. We hold loosely to all things, ready to and willing to surrender them at any time, at a moment's notice, for the glory of God and for the benefit of others. It's not that men and women are not equal, or that, that wives are inferior to their husbands. And I say this, I'm not being uh, cute or, or pandering. I know if, if we took an IQ test, I know Kathy's IQ is much higher than mine. I, I don't doubt that one bit. I hope she's not listening tonight. I realize that. that it's not about equality or who's the smartest or who may be even more the, the most gifted or has the most... Uh, that, that has nothing to do with it. Submission is not about superiority or inferiority but about the glory of God. In fact, that's all anything's about, isn't it? Mission work, the church of Christ. Why are we here tonight? For the glory of God. The weightiness of God's presence on earth. That word glory means weight. Submission is not about superiority, inferiority, but about God's glory, living out our calling according to his pattern. R.C.H. Linsky writes, Even in the midst of his death, he had to be the mighty God in order by his death to conquer death. John Phillips says, Christ Jesus had more power nailed to a cross than any other person's ever lived. He darkened the, the sun. He caused the dead to rise. 
Whatever is meant by he made himself void equally, which describes his incarnation here, one thing it could never possibly mean, that which could hurt or distort his absolute fitness to guide and bless us whom he came to save. That emptying, G.C. Handley Mole writes, placed him indeed on the creaturely level in regard of the reality of human experience of growth and human capacity for suffering. But never for one moment did it, could it, make him other than the absolute and infallible master and guide of his redeemed. You see, submission as to, has to do with our rights and how we view them. When Christ limited himself, he, he temporarily, for that span of time, for that 33 years, surrendered some of the rights so that he could purchase our salvation. I think there are at least five areas that we can see that he did that. His glory was veiled. If we could have seen him in his pre-incarnate uh, glory, as Isaiah saw him, high and lifted up, his train filling the temple, no one associated a train when they saw Jesus Christ. No one associated a crown or glory. And In fact, Isaiah tells us he, he, he had no beauty that we should... We'd be drawn to him. He, and I, without being uh, sacrilegious in any way, our Lord looks as obviously an ordinary human being, a Jewish man. You would not have by his physical looks said this has got to be the Messiah. Remember, it was said of, of Saul and of David, their looks, they were handsome, head and shoulders above the rest. They looked the part. The, the Jews chose Saul to be their first king because of how... He looked. He was tall, dark, and handsome. That's what they wanted, like a, a Hollywood you know, call you know, for, for actors. But Isaiah said that the Lord Jesus had nothing in his physical presence that would speak of deity in and of itself. So he, he gave up that glory that we, we read about in the Scriptures, as for example, as Isaiah saw. In fact, he prays in John 17, verse 1. One of the things he prays for when he's restored to the Father, he says, would you restore to me that glory? Father, glorify your Son that, that the Son may glorify you. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory I had with you before the world was. When we talk about submission, the Lord laid aside in some mysterious way his glory when he took on a, a human body. His glory was hidden on earth. It, largely, in the eyes of men, we, we did not, mankind did not see him. In fact, when he was presented as king, the crowd said, we will not have this man to rule over us. Secondly, he emptied or surrendered himself of independent divine authority. The Godhead operates in perfect harmony. It's a 100% decision. There's no division in the, the, the Godhead as, as far as deciding to do something. It's an agreement in all things. In John 10, verse 30, I and my Father are one. One of the most amazing statements in all the Scripture. And yet, while on earth, he said, I of my own self do nothing. So if I and my Father are one, that's a fact. Yet, in this incarnate position, I don't do anything originated in and of myself. I am living out this life on earth according to a very detailed plan 
ordained in eternity past, and I of myself do nothing in this incarnate position. I don't seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. That's submission. When he prayed in Gethsemane for that cup, the cup of separation that was about to take place, when he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And he prayed for that. When that took place, because he knew all things, he knew that God the Father would not be able to look upon him. If that part of it, if that cup could be removed, Jesus was not praying that it wouldn't hurt, that there wouldn't be nails or thorns, but he could not bear for that that absolute break to be between he and his father. If that cup could, if that part could be removed, oh Father, nevertheless, if it can't, you see, he's praying in his humanity. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Another interesting verse in Hebrews chapter five, verse eight: Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience. By the things which he suffered. And being made perfect or complete, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Our salvation could not have been procured without the obedience of the Son. And when he took on flesh, he lived that out in that time, space, the eternal one, the limitless one, limited himself to time and space and a body when the heaven of heavens cannot contain him. That submitting to that, he learned the obedience of the divine plan that he had submitted to. Thirdly, he submitted to the, the to exercise some of his divine attributes. He he was always omniscient and omnipotent and omnipresent. But that is one of the areas that he was limited in in a human body. He could not be everywhere present as he was in his pre-incarnate position. But he did exercise these fully, or as fully as he could have, or did before his incarnation. They were limited, and that was part of his submission. He limited himself. Fourth, he limited, he submitted his riches. I heard years ago one of these prosperity preachers trying to describe how rich Jesus was. One of the most laughable things you've ever heard in your life. He gave all kinds of cockamamie reasons, none scriptural, not a verse, not a shred of scripture, that he was just absolutely wealthy. And, and that, in, fact, in light of the fact that verse after verse tells us, for example, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, for your sakes he became poor. He told the disciples of John who came and said, where are you staying tonight? He said, come see. And later on, they found out he had nowhere to lay his head. No pillow, no place. He, he who has all wealth, owns all things, created all things, had nothing here on earth. That's submission, isn't it? We cannot imagine the great laying aside of, of glory and of splendor and of his wealth. He gave up for a time his face-to-face fellowship with the Father. We've already alluded to that when he became sin for us. Separation caused, was caused when he bore our sin and it caused him to cry out in that horrible heart anguish from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the bitter cup. 
we cannot empty ourselves to the same degree of our Lord Jesus Christ, even discussing his submission. We cannot do that. We have a body, and we'll be in this body until he calls us home. People have tried all kinds of cockamamie weird things in the name of of living out the Christian life that are never uh, described. We're told to submit our wills to his, to live by the plan, to live out our role as a man or woman, our calling, those eternal callings, as long as we're here on earth. In heaven, those things will be modified. Again, that's a mystery that we don't fully understand, but that's not any of our business right now, what's going on in heaven. So often people worry about heaven when they ought to be worrying about their position to their husband or their wife or to their children or to their church, their pastor, or whatever. Here, today, this is, this is where we're living it out. We cannot empty ourselves to the same degree as he. But we can, by his grace, he never tells us to do something that we cannot do. We can submit our will to his plan, his calling. Are you a husband? Love your wife as Christ loved the church. And we're going to look at that in a very detailed way. Are you a wife? Submit yourself to your own husbands. No, Jesus didn't stop being God when he submitted himself to the plan of God. But we refuse to grasp, to hold on to our rights just as he did. For the glory of God. The result of our Lord's submission was what? Exaltation. God has highly exalted him. And will publicly exalt him one day. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. But that exaltation. He's exalted in his church today. All across the globe today. Songs of praise have ascended to him on high. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. Wherever God's people have met. Jesus Christ has been praised. Oh, may he ever be praised in his church. He deserves all honor and glory. And one day, we as his people long for that day when he will be publicly enshrined, publicly glorified, where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Exaltation. We sing it, the great Messiah, King of kings and Lord of lords, he shall reign forever and ever. That exaltation that he is enjoying in private now, in a veiled way now, largely, will one day be publicly and glorious and open. But that exaltation would not be there had he not submitted to the plan of the Godhead from eternity past. God is going to present, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to one day present his church, his bride, without spot or wrinkle or anything, to the praise of his glory. Oh, to be in that number. Oh, to lay our crowns at his feet. To hear, as we heard so beautifully sung by John in the choir, the, the words, all fortunes will be, would be risked to, to hear in that hour. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. That exaltation, that future exaltation is largely dependent. I know that our salvation is not based on works. I'm not meaning that at all, but there is a crown. There is, there is a, a rewarding for living out our callings on earth. God made you what you are. 
man, woman, male, female. That calling is without repentance. No matter what society can do or says, you're created to glorify God as He created you with all of your limitations, whether they're physical limitations or mental limitations. God is in charge of all that. All He's asked us to do is to glorify Him by submitting to His plan in the body that He's given. This is the only body I'll ever have on this earth. The only life I'll ever live. And the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. Wherefore, my beloved, obey. Submit. Those are such hard words for us, aren't they? We recall it, that, like a little two-year-old. You, nobody's going to tell me what to do. But how much, now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And may we obey verse 14, do all things, how? Without murmurings and disputings. Dear Savior, this is your word for us, and we pray that you would help us to live it out. I realize that there's some difficult situations that, various ones under the sound of my voice find themselves in, and yet you've placed us here at this time in these bodies, in these callings, in these relationships, in this church, in our place of work, wherever it may be. May we submit to your plan sweetly and fully. And Lord, we long to see you glorified in us, in our homes, in our marriages. We pray you take your word and accomplish all your will in Jesus' name.